Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC sports. I'm Justin Cochiola alongside Tim Hurth. It's Wednesday, September 23rd, and we are inching closer to the end zone. That is Virginia Tech football's season opener. It's week three in the ACC. We've got a great episode for you this week. We've got Inside Pack Sports' James Henderson, who joins the show to preview the Virginia Tech-NC State game. We also go around the ACC taking a quick look at each game. We do some lines, and uh, we're hoping the third time is the charm. At least I am, because I am struggling this year, Tim. But first off, Tim, what's uh, what's going on? Uh, I, you know, it's always the same thing. It's, you know, it's work, it's the day-to-day, but lately, and, and I say lately, the past week, the weather has been phenomenal. So I'm just loving the vest weather we got going on. Cause I don't know about you. I love to wear like shorts with a hoodie type situation. This weather is, is sort of ideal for that. But when you're going to work, I've almost completely ditched the coat uh, for the vest. So when, when the weather turns like this, that means vest weather, that means football. And, and I'm just ready to go, man. I'm super excited. Yeah. Uh, the weather here has been great as well. I mean, seventies, like, you know, sometimes even in the 40s in the morning time. So, uh, personally, I'm not a vest guy. What? So Why? You're not going to catch me rocking the vest. But, uh, you know, you do you. I prefer to just go short sleeves for as long as possible until mm. I have to put on like the heavy winter jacket. That's that's kind of my train of thought. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm anti winter jacket. I can't do it. As soon as I put well, one on, you I have immediately to, get too hot. Well, I mean, Chicago, I totally get that you would. Here in the Shenandoah Valley, um, you know, you can get by most times, you know, if we're not talking a snowstorm, with a nice, and I don't know if I've mentioned this, a nice down vest. Mm. It works great yeah, with any I, outfit. I feel like, you could I feel like have we've a talked nice about button up shirt. You. Yeah, you have. A nice button up shirt, padded vest, looks great going into work. You look professional. You could throw like a wife beater underneath, uh, get a padded vest, and, and maybe some boots, a little New Jersey tuxedo action, whatever you want to do. Vests, super utilitarian, and I love it. I uh, I sometimes, for whatever reason, uh, throw a vest in with this guy I used to work with who had a problematic ending to the company. So maybe that's why uh, I'm I'm anti-vest. But either way, you know, I'm I'm glad I'm not going to have to pull out that heavy winter coat this year. Being down in Nashville, you know, the South, you know, I, I can I'm I'm really hoping I don't have to look at that winter jacket at all this year. So yeah, I'm looking forward I, to that. I'm I'm rooting for you in that regard. You know what else I'm looking forward to, Tim, is week three. Oh, I, th- I think I have an idea, Justin. In the ACC. You know. That's right. First off, we've got SEC back in action. We've got, you know, the Big 12 that appears to be picking up. Um, unfortunately, we do have some COVID news out of South Bend that we got to get to. But most importantly, we have college football in the state of Virginia that is in go. Liberty. So we've got UVA and Virginia Tech kicking off this weekend. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't be more excited. So looking forward to that conversation. You know, one thing before we get started here, Tim, did you see that Deion Sanders is now head coach at Jackson State? I did, which was strange because I feel like he just agreed to sign on with Barstool and have um, an edgy podcast. So I guess he's throwing Barstool to the wind and now is joining the coaching ranks. Yeah, I couldn't uh, figure that out exactly, but... The reason I brought it up is he immediately just went out and started offering five stars. Bingo. Which Why is not? clearly going to be the key to success on the recruiting trail for Jackson State. But either way, that's going to be fun to watch for, I don't know, half a season. Maybe he makes it through the whole year. But um, 
but let's jump over to the a- ACC Week 2 recap, Tim. So it was a, uh interesting week for sure. So we had uh, Boston College kicking off their debut. You know, Jeff Halfley gets a win uh, in his first game as head coach. Phil Jerkovich looked really good, especially in that second half, having 300 yards, two scores in his debut. Really, Duke looked pretty horrible, and their red zone yeah. offense is putrid. I mean... <laughs> Four of its five turnovers last week came inside the red zone. They were only one for three on TD scores inside the red zone against Notre Dame. Chase Bryce from Clemson, just 23 of 42 with two picks. So, uh, you know, BC seems to be a team like, hey, you know what? Maybe they're going to be a little bit better than we thought. Duke, not so much. Yeah, uh, Duke Duke looking just terrible, really. Um, you know, I was watching this at my parents' house, and, uh, you know, I, I opened the door, excited to watch some ACC football. Dad lets me know he only gets the ACC network on a 12-inch TV from 2006 in the kitchen. So my brother, my dad, and I huddled on kitchen stools uh, watching this game in glorious 12 inches. But what was apparent, even though the size of the screen was diminutive, is that Phil Jerkovich looks like a, the real deal at quarterback. I mean, I mean, you're talking about a guy that went for 300 yards, 70% passing, a couple touchdowns. And the thing I wasn't expecting out of him was he seemed to make a few plays with his feet that I wasn't expecting. Um, you know, Zay Flowers looking like he did at the beginning of the season last year in a couple big games. Um, mighty impressed with Boston College and, and Jeff Halfley after the game, hearing him talk. Um, he seems like a guy that would really be able to to bring a locker room together and get the most out of his players. So I'm excited to watch what the uh, Eagles are able to do as they go on throughout the season. Yeah, and you got to remember, Jer- Jerkovich was a four-star dual threat coming out of high school. So uh, the fact that he's making plays with his legs uh, should be uh, something that teams are worried about going forward. You know, I thought it was interesting, too. Zay Flowers has seemed to reemerge, at least you know, that's what he did in week one last year. So can he sustain, but you know, 162 yards receiving had a big touchdown catch. So yeah, you know, BC looks good. Halfley's a defensive guy, but if they can Mm -hmm. get it working on offense, man, I got to tell you like this year in particular, I mean, they've got some work to do on the recruiting trail, but uh, you know, BC can certainly be one of those teams to, to throw a wrench into the, uh, the wheel that is the ACC. Um, you know, another team that's looking uh, like they're shaping into form a little bit is Notre Dame. Uh, an interesting dominant performance from them, you know, 52 to nothing. Didn't force a single turnover, which is really hard to believe when you win 52 to nothing. Uh, held USF to only 231 total yards. There were six rushing touchdowns in this game by the Fighting Irish. And Ian Book, just love this stat line, four carries, nine yards, three touchdowns. <laughs> that's efficiency, man. That's the... Uh... That's the the 30-plus Cam Newton stat line there. Yeah, and you know, the one thing I was going to say about Notre Dame as we were going to preview the Wake Forest game, which has since been canceled due to some COVID-19 positive tests for uh, the Fighting Irish is they're still, they they seem to be lacking those big explosive plays, you know, especially against a team like USF. That's kind of what I expected them to come out and do. I mean, they're getting plenty of big chunk big chunk plays for lack of a better descriptor you know 25 yards 31 yards here and there but they just they don't seem to be a very explosive offense no no and it's one of those things where um preseason everybody coming in they seem to be the darling at the number two pick in the acc uh in the media's eyes i'm not seeing that yet um you know i'm seeing a team that likes to grind it out um and and really hard to say after a 52 point victory and and blanking your opponent, but it's hard to understate how bad USF is. 
um, as well. They got a long way to go to be a respectable program. Um, but Notre Dame, again, plotting, uh, scoring some points. But, man, you, you think if they are going to make a push for that second spot in the ACC, they're going to need to find some more dynamism on offense. Clemson was once again dominant. I don't really have anything to say there. The game of the week, I guess, in the AC, well, that was billed as the game of the week, Louisville-Miami. And the Louisville defense is, I mean, just in a word, horrific. You know, (laughs) offensively, you know, they were great. You know, 516 total yards against what we think is a pretty solid Miami defense. You know, that's something to hang your hat on. Javion Hawkins, once again, you know, looks like the real deal, but it's just not enough. I guess, I, I can't remember how many they scored here, 34-37. That's just yeah. not going to be enough with this defense. This D just th- did not belong on the football field, you know? No, the it, first no, two drives in the first half, Tim, in the second half, excuse me, two plays total over two drives, 150 yards. I mean, there was right. nobody, nobody playing defense. So... You know, for me, uh, what does that mean for Miami? I certainly think Miami is a team that is trending up. But I approached that train with hesitation. I'm not on the hype train yet. And I'm not sure what we really learned here, to be honest. You know, Derek King is going to win them some games. We know that. Cameron Mm -hmm. Harris is a stud running back. Absolutely. Brevin Jordan, arguably the best tight end in the conference. But we knew all that. We already knew that. So the one thing that we saw is discipline issues starting to resurface, a lot of flags. I certainly still don't think Manny Diaz is an upper echelon coach in the ACC. And if anything, I was really disappointed that the Miami defense gave up 516 yards. So... I'm definitely not on the hype train yet. I do think Miami is a dangerous team. Don't mistake what I'm saying here. I just don't think they're a team that we know what to expect from just yet. Yeah. Can they string together consistent performances? Can they have a defense that you can hang your hat on? Now, I'm not taking anything away from the Louisville offense because the Louisville offense is really good, but 516 yards is a whole lot of yards to be given up. Especially when, you know, from a talent level, you're you're still at a different level than Louisville is, even on offense. Yeah, and you know, it was super disappointing to see the way Louisville uh, really gave it up on defense. It wasn't like they were getting gashed over and over again. You know, I, I guess they were uh, to a certain extent, but that those drives in the third quarter kind of encapsulated what was wrong with their defense. The blown assignments that led to a huge run from Cameron Harris. Then Jalen Knighton, 75-yard pass, back-to-back, um, both touchdowns. kind of just took the wind out of the sails of Louisville. And, you know, you, you want so badly, at least I do, to see some semblance of a defense that knows what they're doing for Louisville because you know what they can do on offense. And, and they would be borderline unstoppable if they could get some help from that defense. But they are so far uh, away from where they need to be that it's, it's, it's kind of disappointing. On the flip side, for me, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I don't... I don't know what to expect from Miami because I saw so many defensive gaffes from Louisville. Um, you know, guys running wide open, defenders nowhere near them, 20 yards off the ball. Um, and they could have walked in the, in the end zone in a lot of those cases. You know, we do know, like you said, Cameron Harris, absolute stud. Derek King looking better um, than he did, but again, 
the defense uh, certainly gave him an easier time, I thought. Um, and, and yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any question. Brevin Jordan uh, and his skill set would make him probably the, the best tight end in the conference. Um, but I'm there. You know, I'm starting to get on the hype train of all the teams that aren't named Clemson. I think Miami has got me the most interested. Um, you know, but like you mentioned, you hate to see, well, as a Virginia Tech fan, I don't hate to see Miami get gashed, but if you, uh, expected them to be second place in the conference, like I'm starting to, to kind of lean toward, you don't like to see, uh, the defense getting gashed like it is. I will give them a pass only because I think Louisville's top three offense in the ACC. I don't think that's really arguable. Um, so this could be the stiffest test they're going to face. Uh, that isn't Clemson in regards to, uh, you know, stopping on the offensive side of the ball. So I'm like you don't know what to expect, but I think I am starting to put one foot on that hype train. Yeah, I'm not there yet. And I'm certainly not going to be on it after uh, the Florida state game this weekend, but you know, we'll see again. (laughs) I think, uh, Miami can beat any team in the conference, like no doubt. Um, except for Clemson, you know, maybe they could get Clemson on an off day, but um, anybody can beat anybody. But, you know, I'd, I'd put Miami up there with, uh, you know, certainly one of the top teams in the conference right now. There's no doubt. I'm just not ready yeah. to completely buy in. So yeah. um, we'll see what happens. You know, um, I'm, I'm, I've been proved wrong uh, already quite a bit this season. So we'll, uh, we'll keep going. Uh, GT, sure. Georgia Tech, they are, uh, they're trending up, Tim. But there's still a work in progress. It's still early in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, Jeff Sims and Jameer Gibbs, it's going to be a fun duo to watch uh, in, the, in the years to come. But really, Dylan Gabriel uh, for UCF, the quarterback there, uh, 417 yards passing most in his career, uh, had a really good game. Sims, uh, again, he showed flashes, just making a little bit too many mistakes, had a lot of turnovers, got to clean that up. If you're trying to keep Georgia Tech in games, you can't turn the ball over. So uh, this was a tough matchup for them. I, I wasn't surprised with the outcome, but uh, I do feel very optimistic about the future uh, behind Jeff Sims and Jameer Gibbs. Yeah. I mean, I, I think everybody kind of has to, again, you know, Sims playing like a freshman, 50% completion, um, turnover is an issue. You expect that. Um, you know, I think on the whole, Georgia Tech is a, a better product than we expected this year. And, you know, they really hung tight with, with UCF for a while there. And, and maybe the scoreline doesn't indicate quite how close that was at times. You know, they had their chances to tie that ball game up in the third quarter um, and just didn't capitalize. Turnovers, story of the day. Syracuse appears to have a quarterback battle. So we've got Tommy DeVito. <laughs> Tommy DeVito who completed 9 of 15 passes for a uh, whopping 32 yards and uh, one interception, while Rex Culpepper went 4 for 9 for 88 yards and a one touchdown, which I believe was like a 72-yard touchdown pass. So, yeah. you know, Dino came out, said there is no quarterback competition. You know, we've got Culp- you know certain packages here for Culpepper. The big key is I'm not sure who it matters uh, who's back there at quarterback because the Syracuse offensive line is an absolute – travesty so um you know what do we see out of pit in this game you know inconsistent pit offense special teams uh dominant defense so you know the one thing there was a lot of penalties seven penalties three missed field goals two turnovers a lot of 171 total yards had seven sacks which i believe my over or under was 10 um so it was pretty close but you know kenny pickett he was he was okay you know he wasn't great I, you know, I, I dare say he wasn't even really average. 
You know, he was just kind of out there. Uh, he was there. Know, doing what he did. So Pitt won 21-10. They were 21-and-a-half-point favorite. Clearly uh, did not cover. But, you know, the one benefit here, and, and I can't I can't wait to watch this game, is Pitt-Louisville this week because I have no yeah. idea how that one's going to turn out. But, sure. um, yeah, I mean, Syracuse, wow. I, I, I don't have their schedule in front of me, but there can't be many wins on there. No, there's not. You know, that offensive line is going to be a problem in and of itself. I think, you know, when you're lacking kind of that spark in the backfield, too, to take pressure off of a guy like DeVito or Culpepper, depending on what package they're running, you know, it's going to be a long season. Jawar Jordan not able to do much on the ground. Sean Tucker, likewise, a lot of that is due to, you know, that offensive line. And it's a shame to see, you know, guys like Taj Harris, who by and large is a good wide receiver. Um, it's got to be frustrating to play in an offense like Syracuse is, is playing right now. Uh, you know, and, and on the flip side, yeah, Pitt, not, not a whole lot impressive here. Um, if you're a Pitt fan, they were just kind of present. They did what they had to do to get the win, um, but a much different story, obviously, looking ahead to next week. And the game of the week in the ACC was NC State against Wake. And again, this was NC State's opener. And uh, I don't want to talk too much about NC State here because we're going to get into that with uh, with James Henderson from Inside Pack Sports. But you know, offensively in this game, Wake looked good. You know, Sam Hartman was moving the ball, converted a lot of third and long, some fourth down opportunities. Uh, the offensive line did give up seven sacks. Uh, defensively, they struggled. Um, you know, NC State, four drives of 75 yards, scored 45 points. You know, they didn't have more than 26 against any ACC opponent last season, and it ended a six-game losing streak. So if I'm an yeah. NC State fan, I'm feeling fantastic about what I witnessed on uh, on Saturday especially from an offensive standpoint uh just because what Tim Beck was able to do with you know, Bailey Hockman who you know for for our you know needs was not supposed to start um and then the three running backs you know just the way that he utilized those guys and they all had double digit touches and you know Bam Knight and uh um, Ricky Person had almost 200 yards on the ground combined, and Ricky mm-hmm. Person just threw in an added touchdown pass. So I mean, it's uh, it was crazy <laughs> what Tim Beck was able to do with that uh, stable of running backs, and uh, that's definitely going to be a key to the game about how Virginia Tech can uh, basically compete with NC State up front and basically stop what they did against Wake Forest last week. Yeah, you know Tim Beck, and I've talked about this repeatedly over the the course of this lead up was going to make the biggest impact on this team and Des Kitchings all due respect George McDonald just were a mess last year at the coordinator position wasn't helped by the quarterback play but it you know it'd be an interesting study to see how much of that quarterback play was due to poor coaching and how much of it was due to uh, poor talent Um, because to me with that stable of quarterbacks you should be able to get the job done with a team like NC State that has an effective offensive line that has an effective uh, pool of running backs to draw from you know Tim Beck not a stranger to star-studded backfields you know he was at Nebraska in 2010 when they had Rex Burkhead and Roy Hilo Hilo joint jr running rampant in that backfield I think he was the running backs coach in 2010 um, could have been OC, but it was right about that time that he made the switch over. And you can kind of see shades of that with what they're doing with Jordan Houston, Zonovan Knight looking incredible. Ricky Person, you know, his vision and, and finding the hole and, and patience from him was incredible. You know, if you're an NC State fan, you're happy as heck because, like you said, they weren't putting up those points against anybody, uh, let alone the likes of Wake Forest, who has a respectable defensive front. 
Um, you know, outside of, you know, linebackers, defensive backs, there's a lot of questions there and they were porous to say the least. But, um, you know, after seeing that there's hope in Raleigh again, and it feels like it had been a long time since we were talking about that. Yeah, there's no doubt. So that basically summarized week two in the ACC and it's really kind of week three, uh, heading into week four, but for the ACC purposes, week week two. So, as we enter week three, Tim, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Virginia Tech. Something we haven't sure. done a whole lot of recently. So, you know, just a few things to note here before we get into the preview with James. You know, Fuente had his uh, press conference on Monday. Was not overly optimistic about playing this weekend. <laughs> you know, mentioned sure. a lot of guys aren't getting reps. You know, waiting on tests. Basically stated. Not sure if they can field a team or not. So, you know, I don't know if it's partly gamesmanship. You know, I'm, I'm sure they're dealing with some attrition. There's no doubt. Uh, but either way, uh, that is going to factor into what happens on Saturday. And so the challenge is, you know, not really a challenge from our standpoint. If we're talking about a preview here, that's not really that important. But we don't know who's practicing. Who isn't? Who's missed significant time? You know, it's going to just be a wait and see. And it's unlikely we're ever really going to know the full picture. You know, Dax Hollyfield today came out and said he had COVID at some point. Rumors are swirling that Hendon Hooker has COVID-19 and needs to clear a test on Wednesday. And, you know, I don't want to get into rumors he said, she said. But, you know, I think there's a very good possibility, very strong possibility Braxton Burmeister is your starting quarterback. For a couple right. of reasons. One, I think there's probably some truth to the rumors. Um, it I've, They've been flying for weeks, so this is not just a new rumor that has surfaced. And two, you know, if you pay attention to some of the players that were made available for the media today, on Tuesday, you know, you had Braxton Burmeister, Brock Hoffman, their roommates, you know, Trey Turner, right. so guys like that. So those are guys that we're expecting to for sure see on the field on Saturday. So... I feel like if Hendon Hooker had been healthy, we probably would have seen him. Um, but that's just me kind of looking into it. Again, could be some gamesmanship there from from Fuente, but but I don't know. So the the unofficial depth chart was released, and again, that doesn't mean that's that's who we are going to see starting on Saturday. You can ask NC State about that with their quarterback position with Devin Leary and Bailey Hockman, but uh, we'll just take it for what it is. So. Tim, I don't know if you've got any uh, reaction to what I just went through there. No, I mean, the reaction of mine is that is the story of the game to me on the Virginia Tech side. Um, with the rumors are where they are, you know, and what they are, we should expect some attrition and, and maybe some serious attrition at various positions. Um, and that makes forecasting, projecting, looking ahead to this game extremely difficult because we could be looking at... Uh, almost entire position groups missing. Um, you know, we don't know because of the way COVID is handled and Fuente's already a guy that plays everything close to the vest. Um, you know, but we're potentially looking at a difficult game coming up ahead, um, regardless of what anyone thinks about NC State and, and how good or not good they are. Um, you know, Virginia Tech is wading into a, a large pool of unknown right now. Um, and add to the top of that, it's our first game of the season. We've had limited practice time. Um, guys have missed multiple weeks of practice, you know, in, in the most important practices of the year in training camp. 
Um, this is going to be a strange game. Um, and to me, that attrition is the entire story on the Virginia Tech side, overshadowing uh, what I think is is what I'm most excited for, and that's to go see uh, Jayham coach for his uh, first time as defensive coordinator. Virginia Tech has a defensive coordinator not named Bud Foster who is going to coach a game um, in four days here, and that is, to me, the story. It's a shame that it's it's certainly being overshadowed, and rightfully so, by this COVID situation and who will be there and who won't be there. Um, but But that, to me, is what I'm looking forward to the most. Yeah, so there's some other things to look out for. And, you know, first thing I'm really looking at from a personnel standpoint is the secondary, uh, specifically that rover position. So, you oh, know, yeah. the Hokies, you know, they've they've had Devin Hunter and Nasir Peoples, you know, exit for two different reasons. So Hunter with the arrest and Nasir Peoples went down with a uh, injury and is out for the season. So they're not even too deep at the rover position. They're, they're down to the three and the four, which happen to both be true freshmen. So, you know, I don't know if I'm saying this right, Tim. Kianta? Kianta Jenkins? Yeah. I believe that's yeah, how you I, say I, it. It's either Kianta or Kianta. Yeah. So we'll go with Kianta for now. You know, he, he comes to Virginia Tech out of really the Jacksonville pipeline. You know, played cornerback, safety, wide receiver in high school. And just to give you an idea about the talent level of this guy, you know, There had been reports that he's been turning some heads at camp, you know, things of that nature. Uh, 247's national recruiting analyst, Brian Don, you know, as uh, Jenkins was coming out of high school, called him a day three NFL projection, which is pretty, pretty good praise. Um, You know, here's, here's what he had to say about him. Thin wiry frame with room to grow, good length, needs to add 15 to 20 pounds, which I will add he has since arriving at Blacksburg. Yes. Um, explosive, has elite speed, accelerates quickly, and has multiple electronic 4.4s on his resume. Closes on the ball well, is comfortable to backpedal and drives well. Extremely quick feet and loose hips. Plays bigger and more physical than frame. Reroutes receivers on high school level. Good ball skills. Has to increase strength to handle college strong receivers. Again, we think he has. Needs to work on his ability to jam. Not sure that's that important at the rover position. Has tendency to play off and gives up underneath routes. Multi-year starter at top 20 program. Day three draft potential. So, again, that was from Brian Don. That was the scouting report coming out. Just to give you a little bit of background on uh, on Jenkins, who you know we really don't know a lot about. So, certainly uh, tough to be thrown into the fire there um, in your in your first year as eligible, but certainly something that that I'm looking forward to seeing um, how that position is managed and and how Jenkins performs. Um, you know, some of the other depth chart highlights I want to hit on Tim. So just the number of unknowns or new arrivals. We came into this season thinking we knew everything to expect out of this 2020 Virginia Tech football team. Hmm. You know, our secondary was going to be locked in. You know, we were going to have a, a like young and up and coming defense offensively. We we're going to have Hinn and Hooker leading the way. We've got Justice Reed starting at defensive end, Juco transfer. Khalil Herbert at running back, transfer from Kansas. Keonta Jenkins, true freshman, starting at Rover. Raheem Blackshear, supposed to be an integral part of the offense, transfer from Rutgers. Shang DeHodge, transfer from Villanova, FCS guy, at wide receiver. Daryl Simmons is also listed as uh, the two deep at wide receiver. And then we've got Devin, uh, Devin Simmons in the, or Devin Taylor, excuse me, in, uh, at cornerback. 
you know, in the two deep as well. So a ton of new faces on both sides of the ball. And uh, it's really, it's Virginia Tech's a really tough team to peg right now. We don't really know what to expect for a number of reasons, but I'm certainly looking forward to actually seeing and reacting to something on the field in a meaningful game come Saturday. Yeah, you know, a lot of names I'm looking forward to. You mentioned Jenkins. I think having a guy that's rangy, 6'3", with with serious speed that close to the line of scrimmage um, can only spell good things for playmaking on defense, and I think that's what that position is all about. So I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. Um, you know, and it's it's good you mentioned that he has bulked up because I, I've seen pictures of him and he is certainly looking uh, ready at this point in the season. Um, you know, and those new guys you mentioned, yeah, that's exciting. It, it leads that element of surprise uh, to this program, which is one of the things we talked about going in. How do all these pieces fit together? Um, I'm super excited to see what Justice Reed can bring on the edge. You know, I think he gives us a, a prototypical type defensive end in the four down front that can really, really make some noise. Um, and if we're going to be the program that we all think we, we could be, you know, which is challenging uh, for that second spot in the ACC, these, these new guys are going to have to step up. So, yeah, as you said, that's certainly one of the storylines to be looking for. So just a couple of other notes, and then we're going to jump into our preview with James Henderson. So Armani Chapman, Jermaine Waller, they're the starting corners. You know, something to kind of pay attention to at backer here, Tim. Alan Tisdale and Dax Hollyfield, both mm-hmm. listed in bold as starters, essentially. Right. Um, and then Doug Nestor on the offensive line, who started 10 games last year, is backing up Luke Tenuta at right tackle. So that was probably the biggest surprise on the offensive line, um, but... You know, if uh, if we've seen anything from Vance Vice, that would probably last a play or two, and then he's changed his <laughs> mind about where people need to be. And if, even if it's not, you know, people are saying, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing that we're sitting here talking about Nestor backing up Tenuta. Look, if Tenuta's listed at the starter, that can only be a good thing. That means that throughout camp, um, he had outperformed Nestor. Now, could it be a situation where there were some COVID issues? Sure. I get that. But Luke is no slouch. And, and you're talking about a guy with immense size and potential there at right tackle as well. Um, and, and that's another one of those strengths we talked about. The two deep on the offensive line is like you're dealing with eight or nine starters in this case at the ACC level. And, and this is one of those times where you're seeing it come to fruition. And the fact that a guy we thought that would be penciled in at starter is, uh, you know, moving back to the back end of the two deep right now with Tanuta taking over. So, um, you know, we'll see how that one plays out. But as you mentioned, uh, Vance Vice uh, likes to roll the dice, as it were. All right, good stuff, Tim. Well, those are uh, some of the news and notes around the Hokies. Let's jump into our preview with James Henderson from Inside Pack Sports. We welcome on James Henderson from Inside Pack Sports. James, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, we were talking a little offline here. Interesting start to the season, obviously, for everyone. Uh, You know, NC State, Virginia Tech uh, have both you know, publicly battled some COVID-19 issues. And, you know, this uh, home opener has moved around quite a bit for Virginia Tech, uh, twice now with NC State. NC State got their opener this week. So I guess the first question I have for you is, uh, are we playing football this weekend? That's the hope, right? (laughs) You know, um, I think everything's kind of trending that way. I know certainly on NC State's end, I think States had kind of their early issues early in fall camp with the COVID situation, and they feel like they've kind of turned a corner. I, I don't know Virginia Tech's 
um, situation in terms of having kids on campus right now, but I know at NC State, uh, they, they took all the campus and are doing virtual learning right now, and, and I think that's really helped State have a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to get through the season because they're much, it's, you know, it's just much easier to quarantine your players to, in, a, in essence and, and kind of keep them separated from the rest of the normal student population. And so I think State's benefited from that, you know, that they've kind of got back on track where it feels like, most of their players are back. I think we had an inactive list for the um, for the Wake Forest game. I think it was around 10 players, and, and a few of those were even injuries. So I think there's still a, a few out with COVID, but, um, you know, as, as of now, they're getting back to normal. But like we talked about kind of off air, I mean, that's just, you know, really working test to test, right? So we're, we're talking up to the hour, essentially. Yeah, and, you know, I was going to ask you specifically how shorthanded NC State was, and I, I think that's one of the challenges is, you know, we were talking about how panicked coaches mm-hmm. probably are right now in the comments that Justin Fuente had in in his press conference on Monday about not sure if we're going to play, and really no ACC coach is sure if they're going to play. Uh, just with the testing and, you know, if a bunch of positives come back, then they have to shut the program down, similar to what just happened to Notre Dame. Uh, so that Notre Dame weight game got canceled this weekend for uh, for that exact for that exact instance. So it's uh it's it's not a a great day for a um you know what would you call it a micromanager because sure. there's so many things out of everybody's control. But you know how uh, NC State last year mm-hmm. a lot of injuries you know it really kind of affected them on the field. You know this year you know they're dealing with the COVID situation so. You know, how strongly do you feel about what their health is heading into this weekend? Well, I, I think what they experienced is probably what Virginia Tech's going through right now. I think the difference was NC State experienced it probably about three weeks ago. And so right. there was a point, I spoke with one of the staff members, uh, there was a point when they held a scrimmage or a mock game. I think the only scrimmage they had this year and they had 60 players out for that scrimmage. So I, I don't even know how they had it, but they had essentially they were they didn't have they had 60 not available, and so they had to kind of periodically work people work players back in. And what that did is that impacted your, you know, obviously your your conditioning. And and, and for NC State, it's a different situation because they had two brand new coordinators, and so you already were without spring ball, and um, or they I think they had two weeks of spring practice before that was canceled due to COVID. And then you get into fall camp and you you have different players coming in and different position groups being limited. So I think that's really impacted them in terms of what all they can install. And so it, it took them here until like the last three weeks to really get back acclimated and get all their players back. And, and they really felt that at quarterback, as you saw in the first game with, with Bailey Hockman, the starter. But I think from a health standpoint, um, they were without C.J. Riley, one of their starting receivers in the opener. Um, obviously, uh, Devin Leary, that situation, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a minute. And then they, they lost, they had a couple guys get banged up against Wake Forest, but it sounds like from Doran that for the most part, they're going to be relatively healthy. And I, and I think with what really benefited them last year was they lost so many guys to injury. It was already a young team. And, and because of that, it enabled them to just gain a ton of experience. And so, what it led to this year in fall camp was they, they had a ton of competition because you had, I think they had 13 starters out last season for the, for the season at various points. I mean, they were lost for the rest of the year due to injury. And I believe 10 of those players came back. 
And so it was almost like you were returning 10 starters going into 2019, and they're now competing with the guys who finished out 2019, right? So you, you in essence, kind of created a ton of depth within your program. And right. I think State really felt the benefit of that against Wake Forest because, I mean, they rotated and played a ton of players. I mean, if you go and look at their snap counts, I mean, they were their receivers were essentially 50% snap counts. I mean, they were playing a bunch of guys. They played eight offensive linemen. Um, and a lot of that's just due to the depth they now have from, from the experience they gained last year and then getting back so many of those players who missed the season. So I think State feels really confident about where they're at with the roster right now, to be honest with you. So, you know, they certainly look like it from an offensive standpoint this week. And, you know, Tim Beck, maybe an under-the-radar hire, but I feel like a guy that that game he called against Wake Forest was an absolute masterpiece. I mean, yeah. you had Bailey Hockman, who came into the game, 70% completion rate, didn't have high expectations based off of what we saw last year, at least from an outside-looking-in perspective. You had every every running back getting involved, double digit touches, and they all contributed. You know, so is this offensive output sustainable? And is that what you were expecting to see in Week One? No, I was well, I, I was not expecting to see that because, like I said, all of the stuff I mentioned earlier about just the cohesion, I I, did, I expected it to be a work in progress. You know, I thought NC State would win that game because I, I do think they're more talented right now than than Wake Forest, but I didn't look at I didn't see that score coming I, you know I had it something like 27 20 maybe something around there and the thing that was interesting about it was was how easy NC State did it you know I mean it wasn't even you know they were never really chasing points I mean they scored 21 in the first half 24 in the second half I mean even in the fourth quarter I mean they didn't have any uh any short fields I think the longest drive or the shortest drive they had was 50 yards and um I mean the majority I think they had five scoring drives of 75 yards or more and even in, in the fourth quarter, when Wake came back to take the lead, I mean, State went down right right away. I think with eight minutes left, they had a 75-yard scoring drive. Never got to a third down, which I thought was interesting. And they only attempted one pass on the drive. And it was just like, you know, I mean, you don't even think of that when you're, you know, when you're when you fall behind in the fourth quarter, you're thinking, okay, you got to throw the football to come back. But their dominance on the ground against Wake Forest was so obvious. I mean, they just kept with the running game. And like I said, I mean, they never got to a third down. It never was really pressured. They went right back and took the lead. I mean, I, I, the, what surprised me most about it was how easy it came for them. Um, like you said, you talk about uh, Bailey Hawk with 70% completion rate. I mean, the running backs together, they averaged over six and a half yards per carry. I mean, I, I was impressed with it, but I, but I thought they had that talent. I mean, I, I think this is a team that's going to really try and run the football this year. I mean, that's, that's the strength of their offense is their is their running their running group running back group, and I think you're going to see a ratio like it was in that game. I think they finished with I think the running backs had 45 carries and they attempted 23 passes. I mean I think that's kind of what they want to do. Yeah, and you know there were a couple of things that that really stood out to me. Um, a lot of it Tim Beck related. You know one mm -hmm. of the things I noticed, especially if you watched last year, NC State's play calling seemed to be always made in a vacuum. And there wasn't a lot of cohesion. You mentioned the word uh, between play calls. What I saw against Wake Forest from NC State was a, a game plan play calling that built off of play calling. And I, that really took me back because I remember uh, talking with Justin on this podcast. And, you know, you try to be respectful, obviously, to Des mm -hmm. Kitchings and George McDonald because they are great coaches in their own right. 
Um, but it, the, the offensive coordinating last year was just an absolute struggle. Um, so it was good to see that too. I thought one really great thing, uh, that Tim Beck did is we had, uh, you know, Virginia tech has had, um, similar issues with, with play calling and identity mm-hmm. and, and yada, yada, yada. Tim Beck knew what he wanted to accomplish in that game. Right. Um, he went out, he was going to set the tone running. And I think the genius thing was he made that game as easy on Bailey Hockman as possible to the point where, you know, Bailey, who may have been put in a, in a tight spot, given how quickly he found out he was going to be the starter and all those things, he was just playing pitch and catch with wide open wide receivers. Another area that NC State struggled in last year was getting separation with wide receivers. Um, he was hitting screen passes, Zonovan, Carrie Angeline, um, wide open. And it just looked like it was so easy for him. When you go back last year and look at the tape on Bailey, it seemed like everything was such a struggle. And I think a lot of that credit is due to Tim Beck. It is. And, and also, yeah. And I'll give you a couple examples. Um, you know, I talked about uh, you, you talked about building plays on top of plays, right? Well, well, one of the things he did was he played with a ton of tempo in this game. So, and you know, both and I and I'm assuming both you guys watched the game, but both NC State and Wake Forest, it was like a track meet because both offenses yeah. were playing no t- up tempo and and I mean there was just a ton of possessions in the game. I mean, NC State had a 14 point lead, I think, three times in that game, and and Wake would come back, they'd couple, score a couple quick drives or or they'd score. I mean, it was up and down but what I thought Beck did really well was he found a way to kind of build plays on top of plays and, and really make it easier for his offense one example was um one of their first scoring scoring touchdowns was a wildcat uh, run by Ricky Person yeah. and then they came back I think in the second quarter or excuse me it may have been the third quarter and they came back and, and they got inside the five again and they ran the same play a, a wildcat from like the three and he got stopped for maybe a one-yard gain and so they lined up right away just no huddle and same formation, like, and you know, even the commentators are saying, okay, you're going to run this here again quick. And they throw a pop pass, you know, a right. pass for a touchdown. And I mean, you're not even, if you're a defender, you're not expecting that, like coming out of no huddle up tempo, right? You're thinking that's something, mm-hmm. because, you know, a lot of these up tempo teams, one of the things they do is they try to line up as fast as possible to run essentially the same play just to catch you all, you know, because they don't assume you to be prepared or lined up, et cetera. And I just thought things like I thought that sequence was really um, a good a good example of maybe what he can impact what he can do, and and you're right I, I thought the best thing he did in that game was he made it easy for Bailey Hockman he he didn't ask him to do a ton like I talked about when NC State fell behind I mean frankly to be honest with you they haven't won a lot of games in the fourth you know while trailing in the fourth quarter with Dave Dorn as the head coach and I mean and I I don't remember many at all and so. I know a lot of NC State fans, when they fell behind the Wake Forest with about eight and a half minutes to go, they, you know, they thought that game was over. I mean, you go to our right. forums and people are going crazy because they blew a lead and, and all those things. But like I said earlier, I mean, they went on a 75-yard drive and didn't even – I mean, they attempted one pass and it was a screen pass. Right. And so he didn't he, – you know, and some, some offensive coordinators may panic, right, and come out and throw the first three plays. Because sure. they're you know you're behind and all, but but he didn't ask his quarterback to do that. He knows what the strength of this team is, and they stayed with the run and and just marched down the field and you know took control. So you're right. I thought I thought he did a really good job in that game. Yeah, and and so you know you just hit on it right there. One of the best qualities I think from an offensive coordinator, especially in college football, where rosters are always turning over and there's always upheaval and attrition, is an offensive coordinator who can work with what he's got. 
There are a lot of offensive coordinators out there who rely on a system, strictly need a certain type of players, whether that be running the air raid or running an up-tempo spread offense. They need specific players in specific positions to have success and look like a good offensive coordinator. To me, it looks like Tim Beck arrived at NC State, looked at the roster, and built an offensive identity based on the talent on that roster. And that, to me, I think... Uh, really separates good offensive coordinators from bad offensive coordinators because he is working to the strengths of that team. Last year, um, you looked at NC State's roster and you said that that would be a heck of a running team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they should build their offense around the run, and, and we never saw that identity take place. Here we are sitting in game run, game one, and we can already see that identity kind of coming to fruition for NC State. And I, you know I think that's credit to Tim Beck as well. It is, and and and. To be honest, though, a ton of it I also think is due to their personnel. You know, one of the things they battled last year was, was the Ricky Person injury was big for them. I think he went down in the Florida State game, which I believe was State's first ACC game, came back to play in just one game. And for him, he was for them, he was going to be their, their kind of banger running back. You know, their big, physical, red zone guy, a guy who you can use in the passing game. I mean, he's very versatile. Sure. And taking him out of the rotation, you were left with two true freshman running backs. And look, I mean, you can be talented and all that as a true freshman running back, but it's hard to be a running team when you've only got two run, two true freshman running backs to do that with. And so right. State had to find a way to kind of limit their touches to keep those guys healthy because, I mean, I, you know, both of those guys were not physically ready to be 15 to 20 carry a, a week guys. So even if you wanted to run the ball 35, 40 times, it was hard um, because of their depth issues. And I think that's the key for them this year is staying healthy and keeping those guys um, available. But you're right. I mean, I, I think Beck's done a, Beck has come in and, and done a really good job at the offense. The other thing is he has a good reputation for developing quarterbacks. And I think it goes back to what you were talking about, about making the most of what you have. Because, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting about him is he'd been at Nebraska, uh, Ohio State, and, and, and Texas as an offensive coordinator. And, and at none of those places he's had an NFL quarterback. Right. Uh, you know, even at, even at, at uh, Ohio State, he had J2 Barrett, who was a really good college quarterback, but he's not a pro. I'm not sure Sam Ellinger's a pro, but he turned all of those guys into – Adrian Martinez at Nebraska. I mean, he turned all of those guys into very talented college quarterbacks, or productive, I guess sure. is more the right word. And I think that's his job. And so if you're NC State, your hope is whoever they have at quarterback, Beck can just maximize what he can out of them. And that's kind of interesting to say at NC State because they have this sort of reputation for being a you know a QB school. So you don't want to hear you don't have an NFL quarterback on your roster, but I think he's proven wherever he's been you can win without that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. So yeah, I think with the quarterback situation, you know, Devin Leary was uh, listed as a starter on the unofficial depth chart. Then you mm-hmm. input Bailey Hockman, and I think. You know, the thing that really stood out to me most with Hockman in this game compared to what we saw last season is is last season, whenever I watched Bailey Hockman, he was chucking the ball downfield. Mm-hmm. And I think he did that like once throughout the entire game this week. So um, it's definitely for him, it feels like an offense that now basically lives at or around the line of scrimmage. Is that something that we should expect to see if NC State were to turn back to Devin Leary and do you think a change like that is imminent or are we going to see a two quarterback system similar to what Fuente has hinted at, at Virginia tech? I don't, I personally think you're going to see Bailey Hockman going forward. Um, I think, you know, I, I had heard um, prior to the start of uh, 
game week that Hockman was going to be the starter for the Wake Forest game, and it kind of surprised me, obviously, because most people had assumed Devin Leary was going to be the, the starter just based on that was always what we've been told in, in fall camp. But you got to remember, you know, when, when State had that COVID hit, the media essentially stopped getting access for a few weeks. And um, Leary was one of the players affected by COVID. I mean, Doran said after the Wake Forest game, you know, he missed 20 days um, with the COVID situation. He didn't say if he had tested positive or if he was just quarantined. But he was away from the team for, for three weeks. And, and I think during that three-week period, Hockman got all the reps, impressed the coaches, played really well. And I just think it was a deal where Beck – I mean, it's, it's funny. You probably think about it. That's probably the longest extended stretch Beck has had with any of the quarterbacks, <laughs> right. right? I mean, because, like I said, he didn't really have spring ball. And then you get the fall on a weekend, it's disrupted because of COVID. So I, I just think that he got, he, he, he got really comfortable with Hockman. And he started to build chemistry with the players during that period, or Hockman did. And I think State just said, you know what, we're going to ride with him for the time being. Now, they're going to continue to work to get Devin Leary ready. Maybe you'll see a series from him in the Virginia Tech game. But, you know, all indications I have is that you're going to see Bailey Hockman be the starter. And I think they're going to throw vertically. That's something that Beck's done a lot of. But it's due to kind of what you mentioned earlier. Use your running game to create wide, you know, wide throwing windows to create those those windows that that quarterbacks can throw into easily easily and frankly against what far as they really didn't have to do that i mean no. they didn't you know they didn't i think he attempted six passes in the second half they just didn't have to throw the ball deep and so i think that's something they're going to look to do more of but i also don't think it's going to be like you said last year where if you remember last year nc state started the year at matt mckay and he really struggled hitting the deep ball and it almost felt like they were going to Bailey Hockman just for the deep ball. And so he comes out right. and he starts taking vertical shots and different – but it just didn't match up with what they were doing from a personnel standpoint. It just didn't fit. And so right. I, I think the hope is if you're NC State this year, uh, those, throw, those, those deep balls will be more open because you're going to be able to run the football better and force teams to bring a safety down and load the box and different things like that to make those throws easier. Right, and get that separation that was so badly needed last year for that wide receiving core and those tight ends. Um, you know, I, I think it lines up perfectly, and, and you know, I, I think Kerry was able to see, Kerry Angeline, that is tight end for NC State, was able to mm-hmm. see some some returns on that already in, in week one. But to me, it's just uh, the cohesion giving the limited practices mm-hmm. um, and the kind of workmanlike, you know, just – just display that we saw from that ground game is surprising given everything that NC State had to deal with leading up to this. So, um, you know, th- that part in itself was really neat to see. But I, like you, I think I'm I'm kind of on the side of this may be Bailey's job to lose at this point mm-hmm. um, because this offense isn't crying out for someone to go out there and, and light up the passing charts right now either with the way it's set up and if the trend continues – um, is state's going to need a quarterback in there to limit the mistakes and, and keep the machine rolling as it were. So, um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I don't see a scenario in which you can take Bailey Hockman out right now. Yeah. And the, and the other thing is he, he brings a, an added mobility to the, to the position. And, sure. and that's another thing that Beck has had at quarterback every, at every one of his stops. He's had a quarterback that he can run the football with, you know, one of the, one of state's touchdowns was a QB uh, power that they ran with Hockman. I mean, I think it was from about the 10 to 12 yard line where, yep. where they just called his own number. It was a designed QB draw, QB power, whatever, whatever you want to call it. 
And they ran that play probably three or four times in the game. And I just don't know if that's something they're comfortable running with Leary, who's more of a pocket passer. I mean, I think Hockman's a tough, physical kid. And and I think that in it, that's another thing that kind of, I think, lends itself more to, to Beck's system. Is, sure. is he's always had a dual threat quarterback. You know, one of the guy their their top one of their top recruits in the twenty one class, Aaron McLaughlin, is a true dual threat quarterback. I mean, he's six four, two forty, and runs a four six five. I mean, he's a guy who can just run the football. And so run it and throw it. And so I, I think that's another reason Hockman's factored in is because they like having a quarterback who can run it some. Now he's not going to be a guy that's going to go out and be Hendon Hooker or even Patterson, I think when he was getting a shot last year, seemed to run it a lot, right? I mean, he's not none of those guys, but he can run it enough to where the defense has to kind of respect it. And you have to worry, okay, this is third and four. Are they going to go QB draw here? And, um, I, I, again, I, I'm right there with you. I, I think the way I envision it, Dave Dorn's going to continue to say, we're getting Devin Leary better and better. And then you likely won't see Devin Leary until Bailey Hockman has a bad game or two or there's just sure. a clear time to make shake it up or whatever. Um, yeah. I, I, that's the way I see it playing out. I don't think it's a deal where we show up here for Virginia Tech on Saturday and Leary's the starter. You know, I, 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 that's just not that's not going to happen. Right, right. I'm with you. On yeah, that. it's it's uh, it's interesting you bring up the uh, Virginia Tech quarterback situation because the two guys you mentioned, I don't think either one is starting the game on Saturday. So, you know, Fuente has alluded to doing a two quarterback system where it's Braxton Burmeister, who is the four-star transfer from Oregon, uh, dual threat, um, and Hinton Hooker. However, rumors have been swirling for weeks now that Hooker has COVID-19 and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, potentially is is not going to be um, – I, I think we're waiting on a Hinton Hooker test tomorrow to see if he's cleared. That being said, he's he hasn't been getting the reps. So I think there's a very good chance that Braxton Burmeister is the starter. And mm-hmm. I think there's a very good chance that this is an under-the-radar quarterback competition where Braxton may actually be in the lead, if uh, if we're being honest with ourselves. I think Justin Fuente very much likes himself, some Braxton Burmeister. We've been hearing about the, the talent uh, that this guy has and the speed that he has out of the pocket. So that's certainly going to be something for NC State to watch uh, this weekend and, you know, how do you defend against the guy because he, he doesn't have a lot of tape on him. So um, it could be just one of those situations to where, you know, you're preparing for Hinton Hooker, um, but, you know, there's a, there's a different option out of the backfield for Virginia Tech. I think well, the other key. Oh, I was, no, I was, I was going to say, I just want to add to that. I know Doran said during his press conference this week that he thought they liked the Oregon kid. So I assume he's yeah. talking about Burmeister, right? Um, and, yeah, and yeah, they are. So I, yeah, so I think he maybe they're you know they're thinking he can play. And the other thing I wanted to ask you was, did he just pass Patterson? I mean, is that just what happened? Yeah. So I think it's long been thought that Quincy is uh, certainly a talented guy, but he is extremely raw from okay. a passing standpoint. Right. Um. Right. So he's he's really more of a banger, more of a you know, I really kind of classify him more as a Blake Bell. If you remember him yeah. from uh, Oklahoma, yeah. um, and you know, I think there's a chance he can play quarterback at Virginia Tech as a starter. I just think it's probably a one-year situation in a senior year. You know, he came out of Chicago. Uh, it wasn't a super high level of competition that he was playing with, and you know, he was one of the, uh, you know, he went to that QB 12 camp or whatever. But he uh, he's definitely a more talented runner than a passer. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. 
but I wouldn't be surprised to see some some unique packages on the field. I I think Quincy is a guy, you know, I think he's a, a sleeper to be in that H back role if the team ever decided that he wanted to, you know, transition to him that full time. And and that's really the role that Sam Rogers, if you remember back mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the early days of Justin Fuente and then um, Dalton Keene, who has since moved on to the NFL. So, yeah. um, I, and, I, feel, uh, I feel like Quincy fits that role really well. For any NC State fans listening, uh, a good player comparison there might be Marcus Stone. Right, right, and 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 they're starting or one of their tight ends right now, Dylan Parham was a was a former That's quarterback. Right. Yeah, he played he he played well in the last game. So I mean, I, I could definitely see that. Yeah, I, I was wondering that because I'd seen of, about Burmeister, and I just thought like you know, for me, I I didn't get to see Virginia Tech a ton last year, but I watched the Carolina game, and I thought Patterson came off the bench to make some plays, or maybe started that game. I can't remember. Um, yeah, he came but, off the bench and okay. won it for us in overtime. Yeah, yeah, and and he was. He was scary with his athleticism, uh-huh. so that that says a lot about about Burmeister if he's if he's past him. I think. I mean, I think that that says a lot about him. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's long been thought that Justin Fuente loves himself some Braxton Burmeister, so um, <laughs> that's certainly something to watch, and that's saying something too because Hinton Hooker is right. you know a very very talented guy, but uh, you know if you think back to Virginia Tech last season, we didn't even know what to think of Hinton Hooker. We right. knew he was a four-star dual-threat quarterback coming out of Greensboro, but we had only seen him throw one pass mm-hmm. in three years at Virginia Tech, so we had no idea what he was. And we were honestly, as a fan base, led to believe that he probably wasn't an option. And then the whole Jerry Kill situation came in, and then the QB switch happened, and then all of a sudden you're like, "How come Hinton Hooker hasn't been playing football?" So yeah, kind of an uneasy feeling. It's amazing, right? uh, amazing how quickly that can change. You know. One thing I wanted to ask you about is the Cincy State defense. So mm-hmm. Wake isn't exactly a world beater. You know, they're right. not expected to, you know, compete really in the ACC this year. They've got probably the worst schedule of anybody in the conference. Right. But I do like Sam Sam Hartman, you know. The issue with his offense is really just a ton of personnel departures. So mm-hmm. is there concern about how this NC State defense played against their offense. I mean, this this football game last week really had more of the of a pace of a basketball game. You know, it was a game <laughs> of runs. It yeah. f- felt like they were constantly running up and down the field. The defense looked gassed at the end, which you know they haven't played yet, so it's the first game. Uh, that's that's to be expected. But what, what's your take on on the defense going forward? Well, I think NC State's obviously going to tell you their concern because you don't give up. 30, well, I'm going to say 35 because one of their touchdowns was a, was a pick six. So they didn't, defense, offensively, they scored 35 points. Wake did. Um, so you're going to be concerned when you give up 35 points. But, but I think the thing about Wake Forest, man, is because of their tempo and because of how they play, and also, like I said, they fell behind 14 nothing in this game. So that really caused them to play with more aggression offensively. They were, they went for, fourth and 11 I think twice in the first first half I mean from like once once from midfield I mean it was just like they almost were resigned and not funny you know I mean when when they were when they fell behind and so it put a lot of pressure kind of on state's defense and then they converted a a third and 19 um you know they they had a they had a fumble that wasn't reviewed I mean and I'm telling some things that some of the drives continued that probably could have ended 
But but really, I think because of their tempo and because you have so many more possessions in a Wake Forest game, it's hard to really shut them down. I, I like I think. Um, and then if you if you really step back and look at their numbers, it's funny, man. I, I expected them to be more productive than they were. You know, Sam Hartman was. I mean, he scored, thir- like I said, 42 points or, or however you want to label it, and their quarterback threw for 236. And they yeah. averaged, the you know. The offensive box score was not what I expected it to be when I looked at it. Right, and they averaged, I, I think they averaged three yards per carry. You know, that's not great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. so, you know, I mean, th- their quarterback was 23 of 36 or 236 out of touchdown, and they averaged three yards per carry. Um, I, I didn't think – and the other thing was State played a ton of players defensively like I talked about earlier. I mean, they were really – and I think this is the thing that Virginia Tech's probably going to have to do on Saturday is because they were not completely all the way back from, from COVID, State are just getting back, a lot of their players aren't ready conditioning-wise. And, and Doran talked about that after the game. You know, one of the reasons they rotated so much was because, I mean, just conditioning-wise, and especially playing Wake Forest, who is so up-tempo, I mean, I think they're the fastest-paced team in, in the league. I know last year they led the country in plays per game. I mean, they just play – they play at a warp speed. And so you, you're playing, you know, complete series with backups because you just can't – you literally – if you get them on the field, you can't sub anymore. Right. And, um, and so yeah. I, I think that impacted things a little bit more than maybe you'll see against normal teams. And that's not to say, like, Virginia Tech won't play with some pace. I'm sure they probably will. Um, but – I, I, look, you, you're going to be concerned. I mean, you gave up 35 points. You're playing. You're start. You're, you know, you're playing a three-three-five defense um, for the first time as your true base. I mean, this is really what they've they've coached all fall and, and spring. And so, I think there's still some some stuff there to work on. But that, like you said, when you looked at the box score, it wasn't like Wake was. You know, I mean, it wasn't the Miami Louisville box score. No, no, <laughs> no. And, and no. And the other thing I thought was impressive about NC State in the game defensively is Wake did not have any real. I mean, they really kept Wake from generating chunk plays in this game. Um, you know, looking at their numbers, they only had two. They only had three plays in the whole game over 15 yards. Um, you know, and like I said, they ran I think 85 plays in this game. So State really forced them to to just dink and dunk and work their way up the field. And and I think that's going to be a goal of theirs to try and limit explosive plays. They didn't they didn't give up an explosive pass play. They didn't have a defensive pass interference, which was something that they've really worked on this year is trying to cut out the you know defensive pass interference on deep balls. So all in all, I thought they played a really clean game defensively for the most part. And but but you're right. I mean you got to be concerned. I think when when you look at the score at the score and you you win a game 45-42, your first question is going to be what happened defensively. Yeah, and, and I think you brought up a good point, too, about conditioning, because I think Virginia Tech's going to face the same issue yeah. um, when we're back out, because we don't know uh, who has gotten a whole bunch of conditioning, and, and almost no one on the team has been there uh, consistently throughout camp. So, you know, you talked about the game against Wake Forest, NC State. The thing that stuck out in my mind was, man, Peyton Wilson is an absolute warrior. Um, <laughs> that guy plays harder than anyone that I can remember Um on NC State's defense in a long, long time. I mean, he's a guy that seems to give 100% effort every single play. But you could see it. I mean, there were plays where it looked like he needed to come out of the ball game and just couldn't come out. Um, and he had given all that he had. And, and one play that I think was worth highlighting for him, you know, he was worn out. And, and I think he ended up saving seven on a punt return 
right. where he already looked gassed, called the punt returner from behind by slapping his foot. And I think keeping seven points off the board for Wake. So, you know, there were a lot of those plays on display for NC State. Um, I think Ali McNeil looked fantastic at nose guard. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You talk about a guy who shouldn't be able to move the way he moves with a body the size of the body that he has. Unreal. Um, and I thought he was disruptive as could be. And then, you know, a big miss for NC State, too. I don't see a lot of people talking about is Tanner Ingle to me is one of the best defensive backs in the ACC. And he was in the game for maybe two or three plays. um, And then he was out. And I I think having him would have uh, certainly helped uh, some of what was going on. But the key there is a quick fix for NC state. Just get off the field on third down, you know, easier said than done, but that's something you can fix. If you look at it from the other side, which is wake looking at NC state wake was absolutely gashed. Chunk play after chunk play after chunk play. Right. It's a little deceiving the scoreline to me with NC State, given that they kind of bottled up Wake okay, especially when you look on it at, at a yard per play average, mm-hmm. um, to where they maybe they are a couple of tweaks away from finding a, a pretty serviceable defense. But I I do think there's there's definite talent on that side of the ball for State. Yeah, like I told you earlier, I mean Wake had three plays over 15 yards. NC State had 13. Yeah. Um. And and. It was just a lot easier for for NC State's offense than Wake Forest, and um, you're right. Defensively, State's talented. I, I think they're still relatively young. They only have one senior uh, right now in the defensive rotation. I think in the defensive two deep, there's only one senior, um, and, and so you, you're you're still playing some guys. I mean, the Tanner Engel injury was big. He he got injured. I think he looked like looked like he pulled a hamstring. Um, right on the first play of the game and he stayed in and played another snap and then came out and they replaced him with a junior college transfer who they, they brought in over the summer. And he, he, he played well with Keem Ashford, but I, I would be surprised if Ingle is back for Virginia tech. So that's going to be a, a guy they're going to be down. But like I said, I mean, they played Ashford and they'll have a week to kind of prepare for that. And it didn't really, you know, funny, it was funny because my, my expectation was taking him out. I thought, okay, now you're going to really open up the vertical game for mm-hmm. far but it didn't really bother them there. And then so I, I thought they covered that up pretty well. So I, I think that's going to be, uh, uh, you know, something to watch. Another thing is I know the, the area Wake really attacked NC State was out of the slot position. Um, they, had, they they got a lot of production from their, their two slot receivers. So I'd imagine maybe that's something Virginia Tech looks to, looks to uh, use as well. I'm going to look at this. I'm trying to look up the stats. Um, yeah, Jaquiri Roberson and, and Tanner Moran, they combined for 10 catches for 127 yards. So yeah. that was really an area where they tried to attack NC State. And a lot of it was because, like I talked about earlier, they just couldn't get anything going on the perimeter with their vertical shots. Yeah. So I'd expect Virginia Tech, I don't know what they're like at the slot position, but I'd expect that to be a focal point for them in this game as well, just because, I mean, I think State showed a little bit of a weakness there. Yeah, and I think you're right. And another guy you highlighted who I think is worth shouting his name out is uh, Rakeem Ashford, mm-hmm. a late addition uh, for the Wolf Pack. But but I think a guy that battled, um, given that that he had to come in and fill in. You know, I, I thought he he did pretty well. Um, a, a guy that seemed to maybe get picked on a couple times in pass coverage, but I thought all in all a pretty good game from him in his first outing. I agree. Yeah, I mean he played well, man. Like that guy was a steal for them. Yeah, you know he's a he's a player who was really. You know, and it doesn't, I don't know how Virginia Tech does in terms of recruiting junior college players. I don't know if they do a lot or not, but it's been an area where states landed a couple guys here or there, you know, each year. And that's the one, in my opinion, the one uh, like level that's really impacted by COVID mm-hmm. because 
you look at a kid like Rakeem last year at, at junior college, he was a freshman, he was a freshman and he was all conference, but you don't recruit, you know, junior college freshmen because they have another year. Sure. And so generally what they'll do is they'll use their spring film and then their sophomore film to pick up their offers. Well, they didn't have spring practice at Jones community college where he was. And they're, you know, all junior college has been pushed back to, to, to January. So they're not even having a, a, a season this year. So a kid like him, he's sitting here over the summer and he didn't have spring practice. He didn't have, um, he wasn't going to have a season. And he was actually a, a guy eligible to enroll, early, I mean, as, as a full qualifier. So he didn't even have to stay for his, soft, you know, for his sophomore year. And so at the time, I mean, I think NC State and Houston Baptist were his only two offers. I mean, wow. there's just no one, no one really knew about him, right? And so I think State feels like he was the guy who, if he would have had a traditional junior college year, I mean, he playing at Jones, which is one of the better junior college programs in the country, he would have probably been a, an SEC-level kid. Um, yeah. I think they felt like that was him being all, all conference as a freshman. And so they think they kind of stole him because he was able to enroll early, didn't get really recruited like, like JUCOs normally do. And, and so he came in, man, um, first game out. You know, you don't get like this is the other thing that's crazy about this season is you don't get those um, FCS to work yourself in. Right. You're jumping right into the mix against ACC level teams. I mean, so I I think that's 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 an area, man, that's going to be funny to see the fan bases talk about (laughs) records at the end of the year. (laughs) You're you're essentially looking at ACC records. I mean, if you go and if you go look at the ACC records every single year, they're for the most part, they're not pretty. You know, right. you got Clemson who will be eight no or whatever, and everybody else is between two and six and five and three. <laughs> right. And and that's that's kind of what you're gonna be looking at, right. I think this year. Yeah, certainly that's the trajectory right now at least. Right, right. Yeah, I was gonna say it it, it looks and feels very much like the same old ACC uh that we've grown to love and defend nationally. But uh <laughs> You know, what what would you say, James, are the keys to the game for NC State this weekend? Well, I think State, they're going to be kind of, you know, I personally felt, and I don't know, I'd like to get your, your, your opinions on this, but I thought NC State had an advantage last week, having not, having not played yet and having seen Wake Forest, whereas a lot of people felt the other way. They felt Wake has the advantage because they've already got a, had a game under their belts, you know, all those things that can work out some rotations. I didn't really feel that way. Um, and so I think Virginia Tech has an advantage going into this week because now you know Bailey Hockman is the starter. You see what Tim Beck, some of the things Tim Beck's trying to do and what Tony Gibson's trying to do defensively, whereas NC State's kind of flying blind right now. You know, one of the concerns I know they mentioned this week was not really knowing what they're going to get from Virginia Tech's new defensive coordinator. So right. I, I think you're, if you're NC State, I think the number one thing they're going to try and do defensively, or offensively, they're going to run the football. I mean, they're going to come out, you're going to get outside zone, inside zone, split zone. I mean, you're going to get them trying to run downhill and move you off the line of scrimmage. And, you know, and I saw Virginia Tech's depth chart. I mean, they, their D-line seemed kind of light. Yeah. Um, that, I don't know if that's COVID-related. I don't know if they've got some guys out or what, but they didn't have a guy, I don't think, over over 300 pounds um, on their D-line. And so I'd expect NC State to come out and really try to lean on Virginia Tech and, and get downhill and, and run the football maybe work some play action off of that. Um, and then defensively, I, I think they're going to try and pressure and play man coverage and see if, if it is Burmeister, see if he can beat you throwing the football. I mean, I think NC State's going to really try and play gap control, get downhill, 
and take away the run game. I feel like the strength of Virginia Tech's offense is going to be their running game, if that's including the quarterback, um, sure. But I, but I think Virginia Tech has some talented running backs. It seems like they've recruited 20, right? I mean, it feels like <laughs> a lot of a running backs on the roster. A lot of new yeah, faces. man. I mean, like, I couldn't. I'm like, Gee, they got that guy, too? You know? <laughs> so, yeah. I got to tell you. So, I, I definitely hear you from the standpoint about, you know, is there an advantage because they haven't played? I think the difficult part for NC State right now has to be the same reason it's difficult to really kind of assess what Virginia Tech is going to be on the field this week because there are so many new faces. You know, we mm-hmm. thought 2020 was going to be, you know, we knew what we knew what to expect. We've got so many JUCO transfers. We've got so many transfers that came from Kansas. We've got a new starting running back. We've got a guy in Raheem Blackshear who came from Rutgers who is considered a running back, but you mentioned the slot. I think we're going to see him lined up quite a bit in that slot area on the, on the football field. And from all accounts, you know, he's just this dynamic talent uh, that's going to be plugged into the football field from a quarterback standpoint. Okay. We think we're going in with Hinton Hooker. Actually, you know who was available for the media today? Braxton Burmeister. And the rumor is swirling that Hinton Hooker is not going to play. So you've got all these different guys on offense who you don't really have tape for. And then on the defensive side of the ball, mm-hmm. you know, Virginia Tech coming into the season, you know, before COVID happened, you know, we thought we were going to have Caleb Farley there. Well, you know, he opted out. He's gone. So now we're weak at corner. If you look at the rover position, you know, essentially our strong safety, you know, our starter was arrested last week and his backup went down with a, a leg injury a few weeks ago. So we're down to the three deep at rover. And it's going to be a true freshman. So there's a lot of questions um, which may play into Virginia Tech's favor, may not play into their favor. But I certainly do hear you that uh, the surprise factor is uh, is definitely going to, uh, you know, essentially benefit Virginia Tech more this week than um, than it would NC State. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think NC State really not knowing what you're going to get, like I said, schematically defensively from Virginia Tech or even at quarterback, I would imagine they're going to, you know, I know one of the things Doran seems to do a lot of is he, he, trust me, he's very familiar with that depth chart that's going to come out of Virginia Tech. So if they're starting a true freshman somewhere, I'd imagine NC State's going to try and and go at him. I know one of the things Tim Beck's done a lot in his offense is is he'll put his best receiver in the slot and try to target him in a slot where he can get matched up against safeties and nickels and different things like that. So I imagine you – I know I know in the game against Wake Forest, they didn't use him a lot, but they, they played Emeka Mezzi, who was their number one receiver, almost exclusively out of the slot. So I, I think that's an area where they're going to really try and test um, Virginia Tech's nickels and safeties when they do pass. But, but like I said, I think this game is going to be one in the trenches one way or the other. Um, I think NC State's going to come in and say, we're going to run the football. And, you, you know, if you can stop it, we're going to try and throw it then. But I, I really like – I know you guys watched the game, but there just was never a sense of them feeling like they had to throw the football against Wake Forest. No. And and yeah. that's what made them scoring, you know, 45 points so that easily so impressive to me because it was just kind of like – we're going to continue to run it. We're going to rotate in running backs. We're going to rotate in offensive linemen and, you know, see if you can stop us. And I imagine, I mean, they're not really going to deviate from that here going into this game against Wake or against Virginia Tech, who I'd assume NC State's thinking they're going to be undermanned offensively and defensively if they're, if you know, if they play this game. I mean, even from a depth standpoint, a conditioning standpoint, 
they're probably not going to be all the way back to where they can be. So I think NC State's no. going to try and just play, you know, to their strength and, and see what happens. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's a and- – that- you go ahead, Justin. Yeah, I was just going to say, from a defensive line standpoint, that's the position group that I'm probably most concerned about against a team like NC State because of how they do run the football. And, you know, that was a group where we were already thin coming into the season depth-wise. So depending on what COVID has done to that positional group, uh, you know, remains to be seen. But it's certainly going to be a very uh, challenging uh, first test. And, um you know, I'll I'll let Tim chime in here, but just kind of wanted to get a sense for the NC State offensive line and what your overall thought is of that group as well. Yeah, it, the only point I was going to say was if you're into betting on college football, avoid this game at literally yeah. all costs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't even look at it. Yeah, and, and I don't mean that. I, I'm I'm with you, I, and I don't mean that as a as a negative on Virginia Tech or NC State. I just have no clue what's going to happen. You know, personally. no, absolutely. I mean, you know. The line, I was surprised the line was as high as it was. But then you think about it, Virginia Tech's on paper returning a lot of starters from last year, right? I mean, it, you know, just in me researching them, it felt like they had a lot, a lot of guys back. So, you know, the expectation, I think, is Virginia Tech win at full strength can be really good. Um, you just don't have a clue of, of what you're going to get. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I know one thing. I, I do – uh, you know, I do bet a little bit. I'm not messing with this game at all. <laughs> no. Um, and so, but but as your question about the offensive line, I mean, I think that that's probably, in my opinion, NC State's strength offensively right now. I know their running backs are really good, but but they have seven linemen who they feel very. Well, I'd say eight. I think one of the one of the guys, Dylan McMahon, he did not play in the game. I don't know if that's COVID or injury related, but I expected him to play against Wake, and he did not play. He was one of their reserves, but. They played their two backup, uh, their two swing guards and tackles. I mean, they played them probably about 40% of that game. So, I mean, they, they were comfortable putting them out there. And, I mean, I think that's their strength. You know, if you go and look at their pro football focus grade, I think three of their top six players graded out in that game were offensive linemen. Uh, I know Ika McQuanu was a second-team all-conference guy last year. Uh, he was gracious. You know, yeah, they moved him to left guard from from left tackle, which was – that was a move that surprised a lot of us just because, you know, when you find a, a true freshman left tackle who's all ACC, you generally don't move them, right? right. <laughs> I mean, no. People were shocked by that. But I told guys on our board or, or folks on our board, I said, you know, I think this is a sign of the direction of this offense, and they want to run the football. And he's their best run blocker, and they moved him into left guard. And you go back and watch – you know, they're, some of their big runs, he, he's just wiping people off the screen. Yeah, and double so, double pancakes at times. And, and yeah. for the Hokies listening, a player comp there, Icky reminds me of Wyatt Teller so much um, in his blocking style and his tenacity. Uh, he He's a joy to watch. And it's not often you see guards that pop the way he popped, but he was making plays left and right. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, and like I said, I mean, he's a guy who, I mean, he started last year at left tackle as a true freshman. And I think he gave up one sack, and, and and you're talking about playing in the ACC. Gave up one sack, was pro football focused. They had him second team all ACC, which right. I generally use them because they go off film. They don't go off you playing for Clemson or anybody. Sure, you know they they just, just kind of like <laughs> they grade the film. They don't care what your name is, anything like that. And I, like I said, I was surprised State moved him to to um, left guard, but they but they were bringing back 
They brought back four starters from last year's offensive mm-hmm. line. They got back another guy in Tyrone Riley, who they're playing at left tackle that they expected to start last year. So this is the strength of theirs, and I and I mean, like I think they're going to come out and just say, you know, we're going to run behind these guys and and see if see if you can if you can stop us. Absolutely. So that being said, the unpredictableness of this game. What's your prediction? Man, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it's tough because like I, I one of the things that I try not to do, man, is like it, it's tough to ever really pick against Virginia Tech. I I just feel that way. Like the moment you think you can, in my opinion, that you can pick against them. I remember there was a game NC State played there. It may have been 2016. Um, went up there and I think what Virginia Tech had started the season losing a couple games and. You know, the stadium was half full. It was a Friday night game, and they they played some guy at quarterback who I don't even think they expected to be the guy. I can't remember his name. And you know, they win that game. He throws three touchdowns. They win that game. And I mean, everybody like I had. We had a Virginia Tech writer on our podcast, and he's like, "Man, Virginia Tech's going to get blown out in this game." <laughs> and like, they, and, they, and, and and they win the game. And so. You know, it's hard for me to pick. It's hard for me to pick against Virginia Tech. It really is. And I, and again, I think the uncertainty is to their advantage. I really do. I mean, State has no clue what to expect from from this quarterback uh, if he plays. I mean, I don't think they have anything that they can really go on with him. Now that can be good and bad because to, I mean, I'd imagine for him, if he hasn't played a lot, you know, he's not going to be at his best. I wouldn't think. You know, I mean, he's still going to have some rust and and he's going to probably be better as the season goes on more so than the first game. So I do think from that standpoint, it could be an advantage for state, but you know, I I think it's going to be a close game. I'm really interested to see what Virginia tech does defensively because I don't know if, I don't know if they, they can play with the pace to come back like, like Wake Forest can, if that makes sense to you guys. Like, yeah, like, absolutely. you know, I think that if like if NC State builds a 14-point lead like they do against Wake, I just wonder if Virginia Tech has the offensive firepower and the pace to just come back from that. You know, um, so I, I think that's going to be something to watch. I, I'm really interested to see the game flow and how – because the other thing is, you know, we've talked about NC State's offense a lot, but what happens when they do fall behind two touchdowns? Now what are you going to get from Bailey Hockman? Is he going to be able to lead you back and throw the football? Because it's great to just be able to run it, you know, when you're leading or within one score. But when you fall behind multiple scores, you probably got to start throwing it at some point. So I really think game flow is going to matter a lot in this game. And it depends on who jumps out in front and who can kind of nurse a lead and allow their defense to really make a team, you know, make a team one-dimensional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I and think uh, I was going to say, I think that's real the key quick for – Before you go, yeah, ahead, go ahead, Justin, the game you're referencing, James, I just wanted to throw that out there. The quarterback you couldn't find the name of was Brendan Motley. That's and it. and yes, that was uh, an interesting year at quarterback for Virginia Tech, but that was a three touchdown day from Isaiah Ford, and that was a Jacoby Brissett led Wolfpack team. Right. Uh, certainly was a surprising win, I think, at the time for Virginia Tech, as uh, that game uh, took us back to 500. We were two and three heading into that game. Right, right. Now, like I said, I think you, I think you guys had some fans not showing up maybe a week before or something. Yeah. And the, you know, the expectation was, oh, you know, uh oh, here we go. And, and yeah, and they they go out and Isaiah Ford, who's really who was really good, um, yeah, he, you know, he won that game for him. Yeah, hey, so, seven yeah. catches, seventy six yards for the Miami Dolphins this past weekend. So how about that? There you go. Congratulations, yeah, Isaiah. Team. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Add away. Yeah. But yeah, I think uh, I think if Virginia Tech uh, allows NC State to control the game offensively and run all over them, it's going to be a long day. They have to get to Bailey Hockman. They have to make Bailey Hockman beat them. And I think if they're able to do that, uh, they should win the game. Um, you know, I'm not going to say handily, but um, I, I am worried about the run against Virginia Tech, especially with that defensive line. I think they're uh, inferior when you put them up against the NC State offensive line, and um, you've got a pretty kind of strung together secondary right now, which uh, we thought was a strength heading into the season. So, a lot of question marks, a, a lot of things to be answered. But hey, at least uh, at least we're going to get a football game. I hope in uh, in Blacksburg this weekend. Yeah, and I agree, Justin. Couldn't agree more. I think the most important position group for Virginia Tech is going to be that linebacking core. Um, you know, Dax, Rook, uh, Tisdale, whoever we have uh, playing. I think the defensive line is going to – I think they're going to struggle uh, a bit with the run game of NC State. I do think that that size advantage is going to lean uh, NC State's favor. So, you know, reinforcing that defensive line in the run game is going to fall on the shoulders of the linebacker. I think that's going to be important. Linebackers to step up in the run game. Um, and, and, yeah, if, if we're taking stabs at the guesses here, sure, that, that we go out there and we try to have Bailey Hockman beat us with his arm. Um, you know, it, after seeing what he did at Wake and what NC State did at Wake, obviously, that's what they're going to try to do, I'd imagine, to Virginia Tech. Although you could certainly see NC State throwing a wrinkle or two in the passing game to try and mix things up. I see this to me as a, a, a touchdown uh, victory for the Hokies if I had to predict, um, but I am not seeing uh, the same big line I think that initially came out. Um, to me, this is a tight game for all the reasons that we talked about, but most importantly, just the flat-out uncertainty of, of we don't know what Hokie team is suiting up. Um, so it's really hard to predict <laughs> in this game in general, um, but certainly not a huge win to either team. Um, and you know, I, Like I said, Seven point game to the Hokies would be my prediction. Hey, could you could you guys give me um, a take on Burmeister? Like, what strengths, weaknesses? I mean, just kind of what is the expectation for him? Did he play a lot at Oregon? You know, like what's his background? He didn't play a lot at Oregon. Um, in his stats from Oregon, if you go look them up, are, are f- not flattering. I'm thinking, if I remember correctly, it's either three to three touchdowns, six interceptions, two touchdowns, five interceptions, somewhere along mm-hmm. that as as sort of his line. Um, you know, we're relying mostly off of closed practice, sort of rumors, buzz. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how it is when you get a player oh, yeah. that's actually lighting it up in practice and it sort of gets out that he's, you know, doing extremely well. That's what we've heard about Braxton, um, mainly being a bigger threat on the ground, I think, than any of our other quarterbacks um, would be a safe bet for Braxton. And, you know, a- apparently and in from what we could infer, the arm quality there is very high as well. Um, but like I said, if you go back and look at what he did at Oregon, you know, doing it in the game is completely different. Um, but it's quite clear that Justin Fuente feels pretty strongly, um, about his abilities. And, and certainly he adds a dynamic. I think that, um, Hendon didn't quite on the ground, although Hendon very good in his own right, rushing the football. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see a very rush heavy attack this year out of Virginia tech. Um, especially if a guy like, uh, Braxton is in the game and, um, you know, if Quincy ever were to come in the game as well, the ball's just not going to be put in the air. So, yeah. Do you think it, do you think it's definitely, uh, Burmeister or could you see him and Patterson if, if Hooker doesn't play? So, I mean, the, the talk has been Burmeister and Hooker as splitting. 
Right. Um, there okay. really has not been much talk about Quincy at all um, that, yeah. that we've heard. Yeah, it's funny, man. I didn't even know he was still on the roster after seeing the talk of Vermeister. I was like, okay, I guess Patterson, you know, because quarterbacks now just leave everywhere. So I just thought he had left or something. I was surprised that when I looked this week and he was on the roster. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. You know, maybe maybe that's a, a decoy by the coaching staff there, but, you know, it's going to be interesting to see just what happens at that position. I mean, that's obviously the most critical position on the offense. So, um, yeah, I mean, our, our guess is as best as any, but I think uh, all reports are Braxton is a dynamic athlete um, at the quarterback position, um, more, most specifically with his legs. Gotcha. If I'm going to throw a score prediction at this one, guys, I'm going to say 31-27, um, <laughs> and we'll we'll see what happens. Again, like uh, I'm I'm just glad we're going to see some football in Blacksburg. I think there's going to be a thousand people in the stands. I uh, heard there's going to be a thousand cutouts. I might be one of them. I'm not sure yet, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, James, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, giving us this breakdown on uh, NC State, and uh, you know, best of luck going forward. Yeah, guys, anytime, just give me a call. Special thanks to James Henderson from Inside Pack Sports for coming on. Uh, be sure to go to InsidePackSports.com. Check it out. They've got a podcast as well if you're looking for anything uh, NC State. Uh, but, Tim, you know, I think um, definitely a great assessment of NC State there. Good good idea of what to expect if you're a Virginia Tech fan and, uh, you know, somewhat unfamiliar with uh, what they've got to offer. Maybe you missed the uh, game last week and watched Miami-Louisville instead, but... Uh, I think the uh, the big challenge for Virginia Tech is going to be stopping that run. Um, so I think if they can do that uh, and force uh, the quarterback, Bailey Hockman, to beat them, then Virginia Tech should have a pretty good chance to win. But there's so many unknowns. So um, it's it's just going to be fun to watch. Let's let's leave it at that. Yeah, it will be. Um, you know, when, when it comes to NC State, it's one of those things where if you were to just look at their record last year, um, and kind of project it forward in your head. I think you're going to be misled a little bit. There's still a lot of talent on the team, much better coaching. Um, you know, we highlighted kind of the strengths and the weaknesses, but you know, this this has been a tough lead up to the first game for Virginia Tech. Um, NC State played much better than I think they were expected to in their first game. Uh, you know, I do expect Virginia Tech to win as we should, given the talent on our roster. However, um, I don't see a big win here for the Hokies and, you know, I could see it going the other way as well. Um, a, a team that runs the football as well as NC state done does is always going to be a challenge. And, and, you know, um, just good to have James on and kind of go over that stuff, you know, uh, love chatting with him and, um, you know, certainly good to see kind of NC state's perspective, uh, you know, from that side of the fence and, and what they think about the Hokies and some of the things they're thinking leading up to the matchup. Yeah, so there are a few other games in the ACC this week. So we've got uh, number 24, Louisville, at number 21, Pitt. We've got Duke at UVA, UVA opening the season. Uh, Florida State at Miami, uh, Miami up to number 12 in the country. Tim, what are you most looking forward to uh, to seeing this weekend? You know, <laughs> this is silly. Um, you know, I don't know if it's what everybody else is looking forward to seeing, but I'm kind of excited to see what UVA is going to be able to do against Duke because, you know, there's been a lot of talking this offseason from Charlottesville um, about their much improved offensive line and, uh, you know, their vaunted linebacking core and that 3-4 defense. And, you know, it's the the, the without perk era in Charlottesville, and, and we're going to kick that off. And, look, Duke has looked hapless to this point, but um, they're, no, they're still not a pushover. 
and I'm interested to see what the Who's are able to bring to the table. Yeah, I'm right there with you. That is certainly a game I'm going to be watching. Uh, very interested to see Brennan Armstrong's first start to see what that offense looks like without Bryce Perkins. Uh, the other game that I, I most want to see is Louisville at Pitt. I think that Pitt's a very, uh, pun intended, uh, a very good offense against you know probably the ACC's best defense. So um, what is going to give there? You know, the Louisville defense was exposed last week. You know, they're they're not playing an offense the caliber of Miami's, but uh, it's certainly um, going to be a challenge for Louisville to win games against teams that have the level of defense that Pitt does. So uh, I think that's going to tell us a lot about uh, how Louisville season's going to go. They're obviously not going to go up against a, a defense like Pitt every single week, but um, I, I honestly, I'm leaning towards Pitt winning that game. I, I just... I was so disgusted by the defensive performance by uh, the Cardinals last week. So uh, we'll see. Yeah. You know, Pitts Pitts let me down before, but that's a game uh, I'll likely be tuning into around noon Eastern. Yeah, and another one I'm looking forward to. Uh, you know, obviously the run up to this game hasn't been as attractive as maybe you'd want or thought in preseason. Uh, Mike Norvell going down with COVID nineteen. Chris Thompson stepping up to the plate. The Canes, the Seminoles, the hatred in the Sunshine State going to boil over um, an FSU team that has to be completely frustrated and deflated. Um, but these are rivalry games, and, and they, you know, you don't need to quote unquote get up for these games. That you know the hatred will, will fuel that for you. So, what are we going to see? Are we going to see more Derek King, or is 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 Justin Cochiola going to get on the Miami hype train? I don't know. You've already said nothing in this game will sway you, but I think it's important uh, to kind of see where Florida State is. Are they going to be a a seller dweller this year in the ACC? I doubt it going in, but you know this is going to be a tough matchup for the Seminoles. So. Um, We'll see what they have going on and, and, and see if the Canes can keep that uh, positive momentum. I couldn't be more disinterested in that football game, I'll be honest. <laughs> I'm a sucker for rivalry games. I just, what can I, I say? I'm so, still so just fuming over Florida State's lost to Georgia Florida Tech. State has done you wrong. I can tell. I can I tell just, in the tweet I'm so done with that them. you sent out. I'm yeah, done. you are. You're, you're over it. I can't say I blame you. Um, but it's hard to not get excited for Florida State, Miami, regardless. Here's, of, here's what I'm excited for. We're going to move on to our doing line segment. I'll just give you my first pick, <laughs> Miami minus sure. 11, taking it oh, all the way to the bank. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so you're not playing around. You're going Miami uh, minus 11. I, I would say that's a pretty good pick. I'm not picking that game, um, but that's definitely one I considered. The first one I'm leading off with uh, is Louisville plus 2.5 against Pitt. Um, I think wow. Louisville's offense is going to do enough against that vaunted pit defense uh, to beat them by maybe 10 points. So I think that I'll, you know, I'll take the two and a half points and, and not look a gift horse in the mouth for Louisville there. There were, this was a tough week for lines. There were none that I really loved. Uh, you know, the one that I, I liked probably the most was Notre Dame at minus 16 and a half against wake. And, and that game's not going to happen. So um, I'm, I'm think I'm going to go UVA minus five against uh against duke i just i'm not a believer in duke uh, i've seen two games now um the notre dame game you know they they looked better than they did against boston college so i'm going to lean on this uva defense to uh to make that happen and i think they'll do enough offensively to win it's kind of a risk because we just don't know what they're going to look like from an offensive standpoint but um i just i feel like uva is going to be uh five points better than duke this weekend yeah and it's interesting i'm gonna take the plus five on duke side 
Um, you know, it being UVA's first game with a new quarterback, a, a whole new vibe surrounding that program. Um, you know, I, look, Duke's been going for two games now. Some would say if you had James on here, he'd probably say that would be at a disadvantage for Duke because UVA now has two, uh, two weeks of study on them. I think Cutcliffe is going to get enough things figured out to make this a competitive game. For the record, I still expect UVA to win, but I'm thinking a field goal here. So I'm going to take Duke in the points. Uh, the game that I'm going to substitute for the Notre Dame game is Texas State at Boston College. So the Eagles are an 18-point favorite. Uh, I do want to mention Texas State is 2-1 and one against the spread this year, so that did almost deter me. But I think BC's defense will be the, the factor here, and I don't think Texas State has played a defense to the level of Boston College. Not that I'm putting their defense up on a pedestal, but I just like BC overall and Coming off that offensive performance last week, I think uh, they can handle uh, Texas State and uh, and get that spread in at, at 18 points or more. Yeah, I mean, not a bad pick. I'm honestly the pick I'm about to make here. I'm surprised that you wouldn't take it. To me, it's low-hanging fruit. Uh, Georgia Tech minus eight over Syracuse. Man, Syracuse is bad this year. I didn't know what to They're, do with that one. Yeah, I, I did. I'll be I, honest. I have enough faith in, in Jeff Sims against Syracuse now the issue there is going to be Syracuse does have a little bit of a pulse on defense um I'm just banking yeah I'm just banking on the fact that Syracuse is so bad on offense that that eight points is going to be light work for Georgia Tech Jeff Sims expect the win to be about two touchdowns so uh give me Georgia Tech minus eight versus Syracuse well, I think if we've learned this week, Tim, I, I think you are four and three overall I am. to start the year. Uh, I'm one and six, zero oh and five in the ACC. So, you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd lean Tim if uh, if you're really looking for some of these picks for this weekend. Uh, yeah, but that Georgia Tech game, I, I'll tell you what, uh, I just did not. I was kind of blown, stunned a little bit by the by the spread there. Just what worries me about that game is Jeff Sims and his turnover proneness to start the season and I think yeah the Syracuse defense is being overlooked um I think it's going to be an ugly football game to be honest but uh sure you know I, I won't be surprised if Georgia Tech wins I just think eight points is a lot um it is and and sir, look don't get me wrong Syracuse has got the playmakers to make that a turnover fest too they've they've got some guys in the secondary that can really make plays got some ball hawks but, you know, like I said, I, I think there's just so much bad on the offensive side of the football for Syracuse that there's not a whole lot you can do. And there's enough athleticism on Georgia Tech, I think, that can really pressure the quarterback, um, whoever that may be, whether it's going to be Culpepper, whether it's going to be DeVito, it's going to be a long night. And then um, we have one more pick to do, correct, for the non-conference? We do. Okay, good deal. I got one. You go ahead, fire yours off. So I'm going to say Baylor minus 16 and a half. They're, okay. uh, they're hosting Kansas. They beat Kansas 61 to six last season. Uh, you know, they lost to coastal Carolina by 15 earlier this year. It is Dave Aranda's debut as head coach, you know, coming over from LSU. They have been dealing with some COVID issues, but I like Baylor enough to risk this. Look out for Charlie Brewer should have a big year for the bears. Yeah. And a solid pick there. Um, I'm going Tennessee minus three and a half versus South Carolina. Um, I like Tennessee. I think Jeremy Pruitt's got a decent enough ball club there with a a lot of experience and the experience is going to kind of 
tilt me toward the Vols in this case. Uh, just a side note, really cool that we got the SEC kicking off. That means a more plump, robust college football schedule for us um, as we're sitting on our couches. We have, have more games to indulge in. I think this one is, is somewhat intriguing. I think it's going to be a good game. I think the Gamecocks will put up a good fight, uh, but I do expect Tennessee to win by about a touchdown, if not two. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and take Tennessee minus three and a half versus South Carolina in Columbia. Awesome. Well, you know, good luck with those picks. Uh, that is our show for this week. We are Chowder and Grits. We thank you for stopping by. Uh, again, special shout out to uh, Inside Pack Sports for coming on. Be sure to head over to InsidePackSports.com and check that out. Uh, Chowder and Grits, you know, you can find us anywhere, really. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, ChowderandGrits.com. Um, and if you're listening to us, Tim, why don't you, uh, why don't you mention what our listeners can do for us? Give us a five-star review, interact with us on Twitter, give us some shout-outs on Facebook, talk to us. We love hearing from you guys. Spread the word any way that you can. If you have some friends that are into ACC football, we'd love to come or love to have them come take a listen to our program. We think we got some good stuff going on. Um, you know, we're just going to keep churning these guys out every week, and you know, we hope to continue to, to gain more listeners as we go on, and, and certainly it's been showing up, so we appreciate that, and you know. Tweet us on Saturday. Justin is firing out some flaming hot anti-Florida State takes, and he'd love to have you guys comment on them um, as he lets them unleash. I'm sure you'll get some more of those as the Prove Seminoles me wrong, face Florida the Kings. But That's I it. have no faith in you. Five stars, everybody. <laughs> Whether you like us or not, we would really appreciate that five-star button to be pressed down. Great being with you today. Best of luck this weekend to whoever your team may be. Unless it's UVA or Florida State, go Hokies. Go Hokies. <laughs>